Well, good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. On this day as we, and this weekend as we remember those who, who paid the ultimate price, who gave their, their very lives for the freedoms that we have. And, and as we do so, my hope is that for all of us, uh, whether it's today or, or tomorrow, that it would be more than just a day off, more than just a day at the, at the lake or a day of, of cooking and gathering with family. But I hope that we would each take the time to be humbly grateful, grateful for those men and women and what they have done and what they have given and the families that they have left behind, praying for them. But we should also celebrate and enjoy that freedom that, that we have. Memorial Day, it's also the unofficial start to summer, isn't it? It's also the uh, start of the summer travel season. Uh, I, I need to let you know something about the summer travel season this year. Uh, nobody's really talking about this, but there is something that will affect your summer travel. Uh, fuel prices have gone up a little bit. I know nobody's talking about that, but fuel prices have gone up just a little bit. Okay, everybody's talking about it, right? It's ridiculous. And it's not just fuel, is it? Have you gone to the grocery store? Whoo, that's fun. And economists will tell you that, that things are worth what people will pay for. Pay for them. Economists are also wrong. Because <laughs> some of that stuff isn't worth what we're being asked to pay right now. We're seeing inflation. Inflation more than just the normal. Because we all know that, that over time prices go up. But wages kind of go up too. And it all just sort of balances out. Not right now. Not right now. The conditions right now are perfect for what we are seeing. Now, you and I might disagree about what those conditions are. But the conditions are perfect for what we are seeing in the world right now with the financial inflation. I'm a pastor. I'm not an economist. So I don't really know that there's much that we can do about that. But I do have another kind of inflation that has come to my mind. In fact, I think the conditions exist, and we would again probably disagree on what those conditions are, but I think the conditions exist for us to have an inflation of things like fear and anger. And just look around the world. We have wars going on around the world, and we have senseless acts of violence happening in, in our own country at a rate that, that it makes it almost hard to remember which one was, was most recent. It's it, it, It's insane. And it might not be that fear and anger are, are causing you and I to be violent, but it affects all of us. Uh, a fear of maybe what the future holds. Or maybe a, a bit of anger when things don't go the way we want. Maybe a little bit of anger when the fuel pump finally clicks off. But fear and anger, we're all, we all deal with that. Now these are big deals, big ideas and big tough challenges. So I'm not going to try to solve anything in the next 30 minutes. I, I, there, there's no way we can do that. But I do believe that Scripture gives us what I'm calling today inflation fighters that can help us fight against that inflation of fear and anger in our lives. Against that, that, that drive that seems to just be brewing constantly in us. Pastor Kent last week, before he left for his sabbatical, shared a message that his prayer for us is that we would know Jesus better. That's a great prayer. That is a great prayer. But um, one of my favorite pastors, I'm going to quote him later, a pastor friend, uh, he, his, his math problem was intention without action equals squat. And, and it's true, isn't it? 
I mean, we can say, oh, I want to know Jesus better, but if we don't take any action on that, it isn't going to make a difference. And so we're going to look at these inflation fighters, but they're going to require some intentionality. Maybe your summer looks something like this. For me, around April, May, I start thinking through my mind different things that I'd like to, to either do or accomplish over the summer. Sometimes it's a house project or finishing up one that I started nine months ago or uh, reading a book, uh, spending some time with my family. I, I kind of have this list in my mind. And before you know it, it's August 28th and I've gotten maybe one or two things on that list done. Anybody else ever do that? No. Okay. I'll keep going. It takes intentionality, doesn't it? And we all have enough to do. We all have enough to do. So I don't want to give you something to do today. My hope is that, that what we'll look at today in Scripture will be more of an attitude or a posture of our lives, our hearts, uh, that will help us to fight against this inflation of fear and of anger. So we're going to look at Psalm 34. We're going to see what the psalmist has for us in Psalm 34. Verses 3 and 4. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Magnify the Lord with me. Magnify, exalt, kind of churchy words right there. To, to magnify is to be great or to grow. What's happening in here, and, and it's what happens in so many of the Psalms. The psalmist is giving us a call to worship. Now I know you're shocked that, that a person with a title worship pastor is telling you that one way to fight the inflation of fear and anger in your life is to worship. But follow me here. Worship is like a magnifying glass to God. When we use a magnifying glass on something, we're we able to see it more, more clearly, more well-defined. It makes it larger for our own eyes. When we worship, we are able to see how big God is. Our vision of who he is and what he has done is expanded. And I know I've preached on this passage before, but I think the best example I can find in Scripture of this is in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, the king has died, a good king who had led the people well, and the prophet Isaiah is in the temple. He is choosing to worship in this moment of, of fear, of confusion. What's the future hold? And while he is in the temple, he, he sees the Lord, it says, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He chooses to worship and he sees how big his God is in comparison to the, the problems that he was facing. Isaiah was desperate. And I know it, it, you see me usually over here with music. And so, so often we, we equate worship is music. I'm not talking about, Isaiah wasn't going to the temple to sing a few songs to make him feel better. Isaiah was going to the temple with a desperation. And so the worship that pushes back on the, the inflation of fear and anger in our lives is a worship that, that is a full life worship. It's not just singing songs. I mean, there is, we sing praises and worship, and that's good and important for us to do. But there is a full life surrender to God. It's described in Romans 12, verse 1, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's all of me, every bit of my life for all of him because he's worthy. And it's that kind of worship that, that Isaiah is, is engaging in. It is a desperation. It's a passionate worship of offering his very life to God. As I was reflecting a little bit on uh, the, kind of the, the COVID experience within uh, life, I was thinking back to when we were doing services online only and how strange that was. And then the first few weeks right after we were able to come back together. Now, I know many stayed online and that, that's fine. But what it was, it was electric around here. It was like people hadn't seen real human beings in forever, it felt like, right? It's like, ooh, people. <laughs> but I don't think it was just the excitement of seeing people. I think we missed worshiping God together. There was a passion. There was a passion in this room as, as, we, were, as we were praising God in song, as we were listening to the message. I, there was, it was almost tangible. And as I talked to, to friends around the country and other churches, and they were seeing the same thing. And I remember we were texting back and forth and we're thinking, is there about, are we about to experience revival in the church because of COVID of all things? But then something happened. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the, the political junk or maybe it was social media or, or whatever, or maybe just the simple apathy of the familiar. That passion level and that desperation just kind of started to wane in, in my own life too. I'm not, I'm not trying to point any fingers. And in, in, in the church overall and just talking to my friends, it was the same thing. We just kind of settled into a lull. I believe that the, the conditions that exist that have fed this inflation of fear and anxiety are the same conditions that kind of desensitize us to our desperate need for God. The same conditions that cause us to maybe lose a little bit of that passion that we once had. And so I want to encourage us. The summertime is, it's a different time of year. Uh, it's really easy in the summer to wake up on a Sunday morning and go, yeah, I'll go next week. Or I'll, I'll watch online maybe later. It's easy. It's easy when your lead pastor is on sabbatical for the next seven weeks to say, ah, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with that later. It's really easy. I was, I was out last weekend too. I was, I was on vacation with my family. I know how easy it is to get up on Sunday morning and go, oh, wow, that's kind of nice. But I want to challenge each one of us. Let's, let's be the kind of people who say, no, we need to see. We need to see how big our God is. We need to be reminded of how big our God is. And we need to remind each other of how big he is. So let's gather together and let's worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we start this at the movie series, for some of you, you're excited about this because you're thinking, how in the world is this going to work with all these films? And some of us are probably a little skeptical. And that's okay. But I think every one of us, I think we're going to be surprised at some of the, the, the scriptural truths that we find in maybe some really unlikely places. And as we do that, our, our vision of how big God is is going to expand. And we're going to push back and fight against that, that inflation of fear and anger. But the thing about this inflation of fear and anger is it's not just restricted to those of us who are you know, followers of Jesus. Every single person is dealing with the same thing. So not only does this, this 
series that will start next week work great for inviting friends and, and family and neighbors and coworkers because of the kind of the fun side of the movie thing. But we all need, we all need to have our vision of how big and how good God is expanded. We all need that. We all need to fight against this other inflation that's going on in our lives. And we're going to do that together. So I want to encourage you to do that this summer. I believe God's going to move. We've already scheduled baptisms for the end of July because we believe God doesn't take summers off. God isn't just like, oh, it's summer. I'll let you guys just kind of do your thing. No, God, I believe God is going to move. And as God moves, I think our, our, our ability to push back against fear and anger is going to expand. Because I believe your life and my life, we really only have so much room for inflation. Like your wallet and your bank account really only have so much room for inflation. Same way with our lives, with fear, anger, and other things. We only have so much room. So will we choose to magnify God and see how big he is? Or will we allow the fear and the anger to, to keep its grip on us? Continuing on in, in Psalm 34 with verse 5. Verse 5 says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. This word radiant, the underlying meaning of this word radiant is to be joyfully satisfied. Specifically in this passage, joyfully satisfied in the goodness of God. And as I consider that, that idea of joyfully satisfied along with the, um, the, the last part of that verse about, about shame, it reminds me of, of a passage in 2 Samuel. Because it's, it's likely that Psalm 34 was written by a man named King David. And in 2 Samuel 6, King David is leading the people to bring the Ark of the Covenant, a really important thing to the people of God, back home. It had been in captivity. They had tried to bring it back once. Didn't go well. They're bringing it back again, and it's going really well. It's gonna, they are bringing it home. And David, the king, is out in front of the ark, and he is so joyfully satisfied in the Lord that he begins to dance in his underwear pretty much. His wife sees, and his wife later tries to reprimand him. You're bringing shame upon yourself. How dare the king do something so undignified? But David's not going to have anything to do with that. David, David says, I will become even more undignified than this. That, that that dancing was for the Lord. It had nothing to do with my care about the people around me. That it was for God. It was my worship to God. And so, yes, I believe worship can be one of those inflation fighters in our lives. But this idea of joyfully satisfied, this one may not be quite as obvious. The other inflation fighter that I want us to look at today is the idea of play. Play as an act of hope. Play as an act of hope. It's an idea that, that I, I came across not too long ago. And there have been theologians that have written a lot about this, and it, it, it just kind of captures my attention. And so we're going to wrestle with this a little bit together. Uh, I'll wrestle with it out loud, and we can, we can see what we can, what we can find in Scripture. But when I say play, what, what are we talking about with play? Uh, play is usually something, it's recreational, it's something that, that we do for enjoyment. But the big idea of play is that the point of play 
is play. Like there's no greater purpose with play. There's no greater like grand goal of play other than play. For example, if you're playing Monopoly, if you're playing baseball, if you're uh, any kind of play or swinging on a swing set, that play, the point is the play. For some of you it's winning, but it should be the play. The play, the point is play. It has no grand purpose. Do we find play in scripture? Not specifically outlined, but I think we do find it. We find it in creation. If you look at creation, have you ever seen the maybe Discovery Channel where you see the animals? And, and they have a lot to do. They, they, everything rests on them. They have to find their food. They have to find shelter and all that. And they're playing. Animals playing. But even in God's initial act of creating us and the world... There was nothing missing in God's, in God's world existence that he had to create us for. There was no grand purpose that, that God said, oh, if I do not create this, then, we will, then this can never happen. God created the world and us out of love. But even within that creation, there's a playful creativity, isn't there? Do we really need 74,000 species of trees? Probably not. Creativity. A playful creativity. Duck-billed platypus, anyone? It's, it's a playful creativity. We find this idea of, of play in the scriptures in the Jewish feasts and festivals. Leviticus outlines seven different festivals and feasts that the people of God are supposed to, to do every year. And at these festivals and feasts, many of them involve feasting, food, dancing and singing and celebrating as they remember what God has done, remembering their history and giving thanks. And some of these feasts would last multiple days. Like the people of God, seven times a year, they knew how to party. And these were feasts and festivals that God ordained. But what I, the, the part that, I, that I'm, I'm focusing in on, this play is an act of hope, I think we find it most clearly in, in Zechariah chapter 8. In Zechariah, the, the people of God have been exiled. They've been, they've, the Jerusalem has been destroyed and the people have been carried off to Babylon and scattered all over. And they know their, their history. That this place had been given to them by God and, and in their minds they had messed up. They had ruined it all. And so there's not a lot of hope in their lives at this point. But we get to Zechariah 8, and, and the prophet is telling them, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be rebuilt. And you will go home. And the prophet gives them this, this beautiful picture of what that would look like in chapter 8, verse 5. It says, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. The city streets are going to be filled with kids playing. Now, I think this is a, a beautiful picture of, of when they're home and, and when everything is back to the, the world is set right in their, in their lives. But I think it's more than just a pretty picture. 
Because you and I know kids play, right? Kids will play. It doesn't matter the circumstances. You've probably seen the videos of kids in some of the most extreme poverty we've ever, we can even, can't even imagine. And they're in the midst of playing. In the, in, in, in the rubble, they are playing. So in my mind, while the people are in exile, kids are going to play. That's what kids do. And every time they see a child playing, they are reminded of the prophet's words that one day the world will be made right. One day they will go home. That play becomes a sign of hope for them. And I wonder, I wonder if for you and I, when we choose to engage in play, play that says, no, my, the, the world is not right right now. But I am going to, to engage in this play as an act of hope, knowing that one day, one day he will be our God and we will be his people and he will wipe every tear from our eyes, as Revelation 21 says. That one day there will be a great hope that things will be made right one day. Can we trust enough to engage in that play even now? It's a childlike faith. A childlike faith that Scripture describes so often uh, in, in Mark 10 is one of those places. The disciples are trying to keep these kids away from Jesus. He has more important things to do than talk to the kids. Uh, but Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with that. He says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Usually when this passage is, is brought out, I've heard it described a lot as, as a childlike faith because kids tend to be a little bit more quickly accepting that when God says this is who he is, that we believe that is who he is. An, an innocence of faith. And I think that's true, but I think it goes even further because that same place that allows them to trust that God is who he says he is, is the same place that allows them to, in the midst of, of the difficult moments of life, to still engage in play. It's that trust that it all doesn't depend upon their shoulders. But this is hard for us. Adults, this is hard. For some of us, it's harder than for others. I hate board games. Absolutely cannot stand board games. Card games, uh-uh. I did not play cards. And it wasn't because of some religious, like, holy reason either. It's because card games are usually math. <laughs> and I don't like math. And it seems like a waste of time to me. Pastor Brandon's the opposite. Pastor Brandon, the games come out and that man comes alive. Like, he is, like he is all excited and I'm just tolerating it. But that's okay. That's okay. It's hard for us. And one way that I know that, that play is hard for us is if you spend much time around a kid, you will usually have maybe a book. Now, have you ever played like airplane with a kid and, and you're playing with them and, and you set them down because your arms are about to give out and they, again! <sighs> and, and you do it as, as much. Books are the same way. Did you ever have a kid who, who wanted to read the same book every night? They couldn't read yet, but they had memorized every single word of that book. And you're thinking, oh, please, we have a bookshelf full. Pick something else. Or maybe it was a movie. A movie where you, uh, they, like they wore out the disc. 
we used to have discs that we watched movies on. Before that, it was a little tape thing, but we, we had discs. And my daughter wore out Tarzan, the Disney version of Tarzan, because she just wanted to watch it over and over. Or a song. <laughs> Parents in the car, you ever make the mistake of letting your kid pick a song? <laughs> as soon as the song ends, play it again. I can only take that so much. Like something kind of starts to like a vein starts pulsing in my forehead. Like, right? Because adults, we struggle with this. We struggle with this playfulness, with this repetition. Several years ago, I came across a quote from the pastor G.K. Chesterton uh, that, that really jumped out at me. And I, I want to share that with you. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. And this line just kicks me. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Plays hard. Plays hard for adults. In a way, I think we, we believe that, that, that as an adult, that a sign of maturity is leaving behind things of play, leaving behind those things because life is deathly serious and time must not be wasted. Several years ago, I found myself and, and Kelly and I, my wife, we were, we were praying the same prayer over and over again. God, make us productive. Make us, I don't even know why we were praying that, but God, would you make us productive today? And, and we had good intentions. We wanted to benefit the organizations we were working with. And, and we wanted to, to, to be able to provide for our young family and all of those things. But I'm not sure being productive was really the point. Yes, we should work hard. Like, I am not saying we should be a people who just play around all the time. We should work hard. We should be great workers, great, great uh, at what we do. But I think a lot of the times we have taken verses like 1 Corinthians 10.31 and edited it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The edit that I think we like to make on this one is we cut off that first part and we say, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in our kind of westernized, everything is market-based mindset, that is anything that is productive. Anything that helps us to make the money that we need, anything that keeps the economy rolling, anything that, that is productive. And while that's true, we should do all of those things for the glory of God. Absolutely. But that's not all that verse is saying. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or sleep or run or lie down or play or sing or dance or get on the ground with some kids, Whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know much else about it, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I've always heard this line and I love it. The, the chief end of man, the chief end of all of us 
is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We like to focus on the glorifying God part. I think sometimes we, we feel guilty saying and enjoy him forever. I mentioned last weekend that, that my family and I, we went, we went camping. I mean, this was, this was big time roughing it camping all the way out to Sand Hill State Park, 10 minutes from our house. Um, and in our family, that is pretty darn close to roughing it camping because we are not the camping type of people. We never have been. We, we had a great time. It was a little windy. It, it has been all year. And it was a little chilly. But we had a great time. And, and on Saturday night, we were sitting in the camper waiting on the wind to die down uh, so we could go build a campfire and not set the whole place on, on fire. And we, we kind of had that, that lull, you know, that lull where, okay, if we don't do anything, they're either going to start fighting with each other or something's going to happen. So I just started playing music on a little Bluetooth speaker. And in my family, if you start playing silly songs or specific songs, usually from movies, uh, it, will, it will like turn into the biggest goofy ball of goofiness you have ever seen. And so I said, and sure enough, it, some of you know my, my kids, my middle child, Penny, the one who, if you speak to her in here, like she, does, she acts like she doesn't even hear you. She, she, she is the one who is the silliest. Absolutely the, the silliest. So they're, they're acting out different parts of um, we don't talk about Bruno and other things. And, and they're just being silly. And we're, it, it's a great time. Probably 30 minutes of that. And then the wind had died down. And we go back outside. And we start building a fire. And, and I start getting a little sentimental. And uh, I'm thinking about what had just happened inside. Our family's not perfect. We, just like everybody, we have those things in our family that we're, we're kind of trying to work on. We have those things in our family that, that, that we wish were maybe a little different or a little better. But in that moment, those things didn't matter. In that moment, we were living out, I would say, and this may sound like a stretch, but hang with me for a minute. We were living out a faith that we profess in that moment. In that moment of just being silly together and just playing together, we were pushing back on the inflation of fear and anxiety in our lives because we were living out the faith we profess from Colossians 1.17. It says everything was created through him, Jesus, and for him. He existed before anything else. And he, Jesus, holds all creation together. Jesus holds all creation together, not me. Jesus holds it all together. When we were in that moment of play, those, those things of life that, that we as adults like to take on, I need the conditions to be just right. I need them to be just right so we can, we can do this. If you've, if you've ever played with kids, like, as adults, we think if our kids want to play baseball, we need to go to a store and buy some bases and buy a bat and do all of this kind of stuff. If you give kids anything they can turn into a base and anything they can turn into a bat and anything they can turn into a ball, you're going to have a game. But we like to put this pressure on us that we have to hold it all together, that it all depends upon me, that it all depends upon what we do. Uh, last week, like I wasn't here, I was camping. And, and the team that I, I get to lead every week, they, they just 
took over and did, did what we normally do together without me. 99.99% of my, my being was really thrilled with that. Like I, I, I watched online and I went, wow, they nailed it. 0.01%, if I'm doing my math correctly, of me was going, huh, maybe they don't need me. You, I'm not the only one who's ever felt that, right? Like you leave and, and everything goes fine. But that's a good thing. Because it reminded me that no, it doesn't depend upon me. It's Jesus who holds it all together. Jesus who holds it all together. Will we be so bold as to trust him? To trust him. To trust. To engage in play that the points to a future that the world may not be right yet. But one day, one day it's going to be. And even then, I will right now. Live out what that is one day right now. This idea of trust, I think this is where adults struggle with play. Um, a pastor friend, Pastor Joe, he was the pastor in, in Texas when we first moved there. He uh, uh, is now, I would consider him a father in the faith, one of, one of a few. Uh, he is now semi-retired. He is quarter-time pastoring a church in, it's a little tiny church in a little tiny town in California. And I say all that to tell you that there's really no like big like, oh, here's the reason why you should listen to Joe. Other than that, he loves God and, and he is very open and honest as this Facebook post showed. He said, few things have stunted my faith walk more than the idea that believing in Jesus is the same thing as trusting in Jesus. Oh, sure, it's easy for me to give lip service of, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. I believe in Jesus. And then I feel like Jesus goes, okay, do you trust me? I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. But will you trust me? Will you trust? Will we trust him enough? To live lives of worship, lives that magnify God and, and, and enlarge our vision of who he is so that the, the inflation of fear and anger in our lives and the world will be reduced. And will we be so bold as to trust, be the kind of people who trust God enough to be the joyfully satisfied children of God who aren't afraid to play even now, pointing to our future hope. That joyfully satisfied idea, that radiant as joyfully satisfied, I struggle with that. I struggle with living a life that displays that all the time. But as I think about that, I can't think of any other description that more fits what I feel like the world around us needs to see from believers. Joyfully satisfied. Joyfully satisfied in the goodness of God. So I want to be a little bit challenging to you today. This summer, if you're in town, let's gather together and worship God together. Let's worship him. Let's seek the Lord. Let's magnify God and let's push back against the inflation of fear and anger. As we start this at the movie series, uh, if you are joining us online, I do have a quick little word for you. Because of the copyright stuff of, of the videos, 
you will need to watch it at hutchforsnaz.org, not on Facebook, at hutchforsnaz.org. And you will need to probably watch at 9.30 or 10.45. Uh, we don't really have the ability to archive the whole thing in its entirety. Uh, so join in online if you need to. If you're out of town, that's fine. That's, that's normal. That's part of summer. But if you're, if you're in town, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's do this together. Let's do this together. And let's invite others in because they need the, the, to see the God that we see when we see him high and lifted up and magnified. And this, this part of the challenge, and, and this is probably why I'm still wrestling with it, this part of the challenge feels silly to me. But can I challenge you to play? Yes, for fun, play for fun. But more importantly, more, even more than just fun, would you play this summer and remember that even though the world is not right, it will one day be set right and that Jesus will return. And so that we can play even now as an act of hope as we look toward that day. Worship God. Play as an act of hope, pushing back on fear and anger, the inflation in our lives. Today on this Memorial Day, we're going to remember we're going to remember the, the ultimate freedom that Jesus gave us in his life, death, and resurrection. And as we remember, we're going to remember with joy because we are the joyfully satisfied children of God. We're going to receive communion together. Uh, up here at the front, we have four different stations. And at these stations, you will find pretty ordinary, ordinary things. A little wafer reminding us of bread, the body of Jesus, and, and the cup of juice reminding us of the blood of Jesus. And through these normal, ordinary things, we're going to remember what he has done for us. You don't have to be a member of this church to, to participate in communion. Uh, if you are seeking to follow Jesus, you are welcome at the table. And so I'm going to invite you here in just a moment to, to stand and come forward to any of these stations. If you need gluten-free wafers, we actually do have some at this station right over here. But come and, and take the cup and take the, the bread and then take it back to your seat and we'll receive them together as we remember. So I invite you, please come and, and receive the elements. If you're joining us online, you can participate in this too. We have just a few minutes here uh, while people are, are receiving the elements. You can go to your, your kitchen, your pantry, and, and find maybe some bread. It doesn't have to be a wafer. You find some bread, find some juice, whatever you might have that you can use to remember what Jesus has done. And we'll walk through this here in just a moment.
we come to the table, this also points us to a future hope. As we come to the table, we're reminded that, that one day we who are in Christ are invited to a banquet, a wedding banquet. It'll be a great feast. We'll be with Jesus. And that's a future hope that we look forward to. But even so, on, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a table with those closest to him and went through a, a Passover feast celebration that they had been through many times. But on that night, he changed it up a bit. He took the bread. He took the bread and, and he broke it and he gave thanks to God. Jesus, as fully God, fully man, gave thanks. And he turned to his disciples and he told them, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and each time you do this, do this and remember me. Remember what I have done for you. Take and eat. And likewise, later on, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and as often as you do, remember, remember me. Holy and loving Father, we, we remember today. We remember as, as joyfully satisfied children of yours, we remember what you have done for us. And that's why we can be joyfully satisfied. Because we know that, that, yes, it may seem dark at times, and it is dark at times, but we know that there is a future light that is coming. There is a light that is coming, and we are going to hold fast to the hope that we have in you because we know that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so we can live as people of worship, people who magnify you, that you would be inflated in a good way in our lives. And God, may we live as people who are trusting enough to play, to engage in play that reminds us of that day that is coming. Knowing that our hope, our hope is strong in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me today. I'm so glad that you chose to worship today. And I'm so glad that you are here. May you go now as people living your lives of worship and people who are willing to go and play. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.